Hello, and welcome to the League of Josh podcast. My name is Joshua, and I am your host. Today's episode was recorded on June 10th, 2021. I am joined today by Hannah McGrath. Hannah has been the lead singer for the bands Chatterbox and Phosphines. She has recently embarked on her journey into the realm of social work. In today's episode, Hannah and I discuss what influenced her to get into music, her creative process, and how music has helped her to find her most authentic self. In the latter half of the conversation, we discuss her newly budding passion for social work and how she is right where she needs to be. I'm grateful to Han for being as open and transparent as she was. It made this a pleasure to be a part of. Listening to her recount her experience and begin her exploration of the future felt like the observing of a budding of the flower. I hope that you guys enjoy.
sitting here today with Hannah McGrath and she is completing her bachelor's degree in social work going into a practicum this coming semester and she is a former member or kind of still member of the Phosphines Collective. Things are a little bit muddy with COVID so today we're going to talk about music and maybe social work at some points which would be interesting and yeah just a little bit of life in general and what music means to people that are more musically inclined than myself. So thanks a lot for coming on, Ham. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. So can you give a little bit of a rundown of who you are and how you got into music and <clears throat> yeah, what you do? Um, okay. So yeah, I, I got into, I feel like I've always been into music, um, but started playing music, like doing shows or writing music. I think it was like the summer of 2017, maybe. Um, like when we met, was I in Boston? Or that yeah. after? Yeah. I was, okay. Yeah, so yeah, I remember I went to a show. I mean, I've always played music like since I was little. Like I, my dad and I, my dad would play guitar and I would like sing songs with him. And always, you know, my family is very musical and my mom and dad always encouraged the arts and us, you know, being expressive in that way. And um yeah so I've kind of always had a love for it and then I remember in grade 12 I took a Kalia and I we took we were like what class could we take that we could just skip and not go to so we were like guitar that's not like you could take guitar and we were like we'll never go so but we took it and we ended up loving it and going like every day <laughs> or like we never skipped it um and that that's was when you. <laughs> yeah it was awesome it was just like you just got to go to class for an hour and like plunk around on the guitar. And to be honest, I failed that class so bad because I refused to do this test. Like the, my teacher would be like, learn these songs and then you have to like play them for him. And I was like, I don't want to learn your song. I want to learn my own song. <laughs> like I like, so I think Talia got like 110%. She just like crushed every song. And I, I think I just barely passed because I wouldn't, I like refused to do the test. <laughs> but it was awesome. Like it was a nice, introduction to like getting comfortable singing because Kalia and I would just like go into this little room in the band room and like she would play and I would sing and yeah I think from there we decided we wanted to do like a benefit show um for the women's shelter so we did like a Christmas show at Zach's at the time which is now the Vic and Kimberly um we put on this show and I got some people from SKSS in my grad class to perform and I think we raised like 500 bucks or something which was pretty cool and that was just off cover which was nice um, and then, yeah, so that was like the first show I ever played was with me, Talia, and my friend Jared Putnam. And it was so like, I remember, <laughs> I remember sitting up there and I just was like, I'd always loved singing and like, I'd, but I'd never like done it like that in front of most people. And I'd also never sang into a mic before. And like, even practicing, I didn't sing into a mic. Mm -hmm. But like, when you sing into a mic, there's a slight delay in 
your PA that you hear back. So I remember I started singing and like then I heard my playback and I was like so I was like oh my god so I just like just like blindly went through this whole set and it was like I remember like I had to we sang um have yourself a merry little Christmas is our Christmas song and there's like a pretty high note in it and I think I like botched it pretty bad and, like but it was definitely like it didn't it didn't discourage me though I I kept playing music but that was the first time and it was very special and people were so supportive and I remember the feeling of doing it I was like oh like this is what I'm meant to do like I felt like I never had a thing like I didn't play sports I didn't like I just like I in high school I kind of like felt like I just didn't have that thing like everyone kind of did something and was like part of some kind of group and I just never really felt like I had that and then playing that show I was like oh like yeah like I love singing and writing and you know I, I felt more placed at that point so from then on I just started jamming with my brother a lot more and Roman and I I think played some shows together which were like and Roman's style is very like I mean he's heard Roman music it's you know he's that like we're different but like when we come together and we create some pretty cool stuff which was fun to to like learn to compromise with his taste and you know vice versa but so that was sort of like that grew and then I remember one time I went to a show I think it was called padlock with the venue at the time like near the BMO bank um and this band called Chatterbox was playing and a friend of mine Eric was the drummer and I just like they were playing and I was like this is so sick like like they could really use female vocals like that would sound so cool like they kind of had like a psych rock came involved Paula kind of energy about that and I was like mm -hmm. I want to so I just like went up to Eric after and I was like can I jam with you guys like have you ever thought about female vocals like I feel like I love singing and like I want to write I want to start writing as opposed to just doing covers so he was like sure and I went to a jam session with them and yeah, I mean, that was the first time that I was like, oh, shit, like, actually, like, jamming with a group, like, a full band. Mm -hmm. And it was so fun, like, jamming. I remember that summer. It was the summer that the fires were really, really bad. And, but, like, I just remember, like, we jammed so much. Like, once a week or twice a week, we'd go to this jam space in Westside. And it was just such a, like, a, a maturing moment and also becoming who I felt like I was supposed to always be and, like, being in an element that was very that was so genuinely who I was like I wasn't pretending I wasn't trying to fit into an aesthetic like it was just like I loved singing and writing music and just like you know being in that moment and it makes me feel very present like I never felt more present than when I would be jamming or singing and yeah so played with them for the summer which was really cool we got to play a festival which was super cool we went to Electric Love and I got to go for free which was cool and like it was just like so many new experiences came out of it and then, yeah, after that, I think eventually, like, at the end of the summer, like, I, we kind of, like, dissipated a bit. And then uh, me and two of the guys, Alex Campbell and Alex Ward, like, incredibly talented people, like, um, Alex Campbell plays guitar, Alex Ward plays, like, every instrument. <laughs> um, we kind of, like, split off, and then that's when we started doing phosphines. Um, like, really starting to do phosphines was with the two of them. And that's when we wrote a, like a bunch of songs together and we wrote one that one lazy daisy that like is actually like there's a few actually on Bandcamp. <laughs> um and yeah they were just so incredible like we just the three of us worked so well together and uh, we would go and jam in alex's basement and just like yeah it was just so incredible to sing and be able to sing songs that i had written and a lot of them were just like so personal literally just singing my diary almost but it was very freeing and empowering to just like 
be doing something that people could judge me so harshly for, but I just like, didn't care. I just felt good about it. And yeah. And then from then on, we like played a few shows together and then uh, playing at the Blue Grotto, like those were big shows. Like that was super fun. And like, I remember there was one show we played at the Blue Grotto that like people were just like actually dancing and yeah, it's crazy being on stage and singing and just like being like everything could go wrong. I could fuck up so bad, but like, I'm just gonna, like, I had no choice. It was like, once you book a show, once you're standing on stage, all my anxieties about what could go wrong, like, didn't matter. And I just had to, like, do it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was such a long, but that's how it kind of got to, like, playing in boxing. What's your creative process like for writing? It sounds like you had found a voice in singing when you did your first show, and then you deciding to write gave you, it sounds like, even more of a voice. My Yeah, so I remember writing when I left when I graduated Talia and I moved to Montreal for like a short stint of time and I spent a lot of time sitting in like Zalmal's park and I would just write in a journal because I knew when I went back I was like so driven when I went back to start playing music more and I just would write like kind of stream of consciousness a little bit like I really tried not to think about it too much because like I pulled a lot of inspiration from bands like Beach House because um, at the time I was really into Beach House and like lyrically Beach House was just poetry like everything that that woman sings is so incredible like especially the album Bloom like that was a huge inspiration in the way that it's not too like I like when music and lyrics are interpretive and it's not too blatant because I think it just provides such a story and it's interesting to listen to music and like you can just like really listen to what someone's singing and yeah and then it, it's special to you in whatever way you interpret it and I really wanted to create music like that too so I would just write like you know I would try and make it rhyme or I would like not to overly make it rhyme but I still wanted it to be rhythmic and have like some kind of connection and yeah I would write a lot about like I mean at the time I was 17 18 so I wrote a lot about like boys and like heartache and whatever like I'd ever experienced anything like that at the time but just yeah like like honestly stream of consciousness and just like very personal but in a way that was convoluted enough and not so obvious that it wasn't just like you know like there is some really personal songwriters where they're just super vulnerable and raw but like I did that but I still tried to make it kind of like poetic if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um yeah so that's how I would write and then honestly as we started jamming more I would so I'd have like a rough like in a journal I'd have like a rough outline of a song I'd written and then I would just when we were jamming, like, you know, the like Alex Campbell, he started playing some melody on his guitar and like, he was so good at just like making them up on the spot. Same with Alex Ward, he would just start playing the keys and like, you, I would just make up a melody. And then sometimes like the lyrics would fit into the melody, but sometimes they wouldn't. And I would just have to like make up lyrics as I was singing. Cause I used to do that all, when I was little, like my family used to tease me all the time. I would just like wander around the house like singing gibberish songs with like, <laughs> lyrics that didn't make any sense, but like, so I kind of would do that when we were jamming and songs would honestly just form themselves by doing that. And it was just like, I would always record the jams on my phone. So I have like hundreds of recordings of jams on my phone. And that's how we would build the song. It was just like jamming them, fitting lyrics in, changing parts of it. And like eventually a song would just form like Lazy Daisy, I think was the best example of that. Like it evolved into like this beautiful sort of like wall of sound song. With like super high vocals and like really dreamy like hypnotic and it was just it was amazing to just see it come together yeah very um non-structured I would say it was the, it's the, the, the creative process there 
And so is that another way that you found your sound was just by going through trial and error and what felt right? Because you have a very, it's a very hauntingly dreamy sound and not haunting in the scary sense, but it's as if you're walking through an old house with nobody in it and you just get to explore. That's kind of what it sounds like to me. Yeah, I mean, that's all. That's an amazing way to put it. I like that energy. Um, yeah, I think I really like to like, I like the sense of wandering with vocals. Like, I think I can sing in a pretty high register. And like, when you're singing at that high of a register, it's really easy to like wander. And I mean, for me, it is. And I, yeah, I don't know. I think I just like that. And like I said, Details is a huge inspiration lyrically and melodically for me. Um, I don't know why it just naturally goes there. I mean, like, also when you're playing music with other musicians, like, obviously the Alexes had their creative input. And I mean, honestly, like, they would write the songs sonically, like, instrumentally, that was all them. And I would, like, put, I didn't, I didn't know any of the terms, so I'd be like, oh, like, and like, can we do this here? And I would try and describe it. And, like, they were, they know so much about writing and playing music that I kind of always felt, like, on the outside a little bit. Because I couldn't do much in that way, but, like, it worked because like they would push me to like try different things and you know so it was nice to have people who who weren't afraid to be like let's try this or let's do this and like you know I think it kind of just came together as this sort of like haunty but it was like sweet and sort of synthetic hauntiness I don't know it's hard to explain but yeah I like the way you put it it's not like scary haunty but it's sort of like I always think of it like a siren mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. in folklore like that sort of like what lure are you in with their haunty vocals, you know? <laughs> yeah. I definitely picture it like a, like a nice dark forest with cool, yeah, it's very cool vocals. It draws you in. It makes you explore a little bit. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. How do you move, so how does, how does it go from that creative process into something more solidified that you would play in a concert? And how does that feel going up and putting yourself out there in a very, personal sense as you said it's uh your writing experience your process in writing you're putting essentially you're singing your diary so you're really putting yourself out there and hoping that people will accept you so how does that feel going into that and so what's the process of moving from the creative process into a more solidified process and then bringing that to people i would say like just booking the show it was like once you book the show it's like you're kind of in it like yeah. it's shitty to like book a show and then back out because like once a flyer is made like you're in it and like I always knew like <laughs> we'd always say this me and the actors would be like if we just book a show then we'd have to do it because it was hard like standing is fun and it's low stakes but it was like we wanted to show it like I wanted to do this with the shows because it's super empowering and like the most freeing feeling and also feedback from people was always so positive and people were so proud and like like it was the moment where I felt the most like real and who I was was doing shows and I really wanted to do more but I was always fucking super anxious and nervous doing them it's like it never got easier but yeah I think once you book the shows we'd be like okay now we need to actually practice the songs in a set list so we know how they flow into one another so it's like a smooth transition and yeah we just yeah like I said the songs would kind of form themselves you'd get these really rough structures and then we would just keep playing the same thing over and over again and I would record them and then parts that we liked you'd be like oh let's make sure we do that again and it's hard to explain they would just like they would just happen after you play the same things over and over again and eventually we would start to just repeat the same sort of thing and then the songs would just write themselves and then yeah the shows like I remember we did a show at Zach's that was like one of the first like 
shows that like Ronan and I put a lot of energy into and at the time Factotum and JP my caster we like we're like let's do this show and like really put energy into making it cool so we like I got a bunch of artwork from what at the time was the Office of Surrealist Investigations, which is like this little art studio show place down on First Avenue. And I got all this artwork on these big roll-outs of sheets and we like covered the, the windows so people couldn't see in. Cause like Zach was like a fishbowl. So if you were playing music, like people on the street would just like look in the window at you. And you like, <laughs> so we covered the windows with all this art and we rented lights and like Ronan and I like really put a lot of effort in and Ronan DJed in between sets and while people were coming in and like we really wanted to make it like a like something new in Camloops because like live music scene kind of repeated in the same way as in Camloops so yeah and it went so well it was so awesome like the set went really well and like just so many I remember just like seeing so many of my friends and family just like standing right in front of me and they were just like just the, like the the looks in their faces and seeing them just like so proud and just like genuine love I felt like to see me doing something that I felt was so exactly where I was supposed to be like it was so special and honestly I just straight black out when I'm performing it's funny like after I'll be like I don't even really remember parts of it like because <laughs> like you I can't you can't be in your head and that's why I like doing it was because I feel like I'm constantly in my fucking head like I'm always overthinking I'm always anxious I'm always feeling like I need to control every situation and like doing shows like I couldn't you just have to like I just had to go up there and it's a it's a one move it's a moving period of time right so you just have to like go with it mm -hmm. and yeah I would just get up there hope I didn't forget the lyrics and if I did forget the lyrics I would just like make something up <laughs> you know I just gotta keep it going and like it always went super well and I remember that show something started happening with the mic like I remember I thought it was Eric who was playing drums at the time like just like randomly slamming the drum like the side of the drum and I was like okay cool Eric like doing a little impromptu like but it turned out that the mic was doing this like weird feedback and like but it just worked like we just like worked it into the set and yeah just like it was like doing shows was like the like the most present I ever am in a moment I feel like remembering is because I can't be anywhere else I'm like up on stage singing songs that are like super vulnerable like some of the lyrics are like you can definitely pick up on what I say and you're like oh <laughs> like I think in one song I like sang about like kissing a girl or something and I remember someone came up to me after and they're like oh I heard that line and I was like I'm glad like that's why it's there like I want people to like pick up you know these like idiosyncrasies that be like oh did she just say that or like yeah mm. so yeah the shows are very very healing and I feel like afterwards the feeling after when people are clapping and you've just like showed yourself in a very vulnerable way and you've like created art with and especially like the process of creating the songs with the Alex's and Eric Eric drummed for us and also Jared Willman drummed for us um all incredible musicians too very talented um it's really tying to them like it's very special to create those songs especially because the lyrics were so personal to then have them help me create it into this like piece that people could enjoy and listen to just it's so special I feel very tied to them in that way and I feel like I always will um yeah and then I think one of our songs JP put on one of the cassettes for Factotum which was cool it's like I have like a physical copy of one of our songs on a cassette which is cool like yeah it's very special I, love doing shows. I miss it a lot but I'll, I'll get back to it one day mm -hmm. how do you think it's helped with your mental health do you think that it's only when you're in the show or do you think that the entire process helps or and what do you think that is is it the a sense of purpose that you get from it or a sense of belonging 
I think it's, yeah, maybe it's a sense of, I think it's a sense of identity and feeling like, I don't know, I, I never want to pretend to be somebody I'm not. I never want to like feel like I'm surrounded by people who I have to do that or people who make me feel like I'm not good enough in who I am. And the thing about playing music and the music scene in Kamloops is pretty great. Like the people, and I got to meet and work with a lot of really talented people. And yeah, I mean, it is a sense of belonging, but in a way that is so genuinely true to who I am, which is what makes it so special because it's not like I have to try. It's it's almost like freeing because I've finally found it. Like, like I said, like growing up, I didn't feel like that. Like I never felt like I was like part of anything that at the time would have been considered special you know like in high school it was like to be like a girl in high school was like you got to play volleyball to be like a hot girl you know like it was like all these pressures or you had to play basketball or something or soccer or like be in band or like gymnastics it was like something in order to feel good I remember always being like why can't I just do it like why can't I remember <laughs> Talia and I tried out for volley the volleyball team in like maybe grade 10 and like we didn't even make the B team like we were just like so bad and like but it was me trying to be someone I wasn't because I felt like that's what I had to be but like I always knew I loved music but it was a pretty quiet part of who I was it still is a pretty quiet part of myself like I don't shove it down people's throats like it's not like I'm trying to be like look at me this music girl she's a hipster who like it's genuinely just part of who I am and it's it's an intimate part and if people want to know about it I love to talk about it but like I don't want to like be aggressively in people's faces about it because it's, that's not why I, I love it you know and I think that's what makes it so special is because it's just raw and it's real and I don't do it for attention I just I mean that's I mean if I did it for attention I would still be doing it like people <laughs> would come up to me and be like you like go to play more shows like you got a tour and I'd be like maybe and we would like, we would do these ridiculous breaks. Like we'd play one show and like six months would go by and we'd like play another. Like it was very sporadic, but it was just like, you know, we did it because of how it feels. And, you know, it wasn't about, you know, selling things or writing a full album. It was just like, just pure enjoyment. And yeah, very special. Do you think that that experience of finding identity in that allowed you to be authentic outside of music because as you said now you don't play as much but you feel as though you're like it's not it's not your identity as it is just being a music girl but mm -hmm. now it seems as though you're far more comfortable with who you are and just being yourself oh absolutely I think yeah like realizing that yeah and like same thing with finding social work and being somebody who I'm really trying to you know channel the energy of being unapologetically who I am and not in a way that is aggressive or like you know people can't I, I don't know I think there's people like it's good to have a balance of being like you're open to connecting with people who are different than you and have different ideas than you but being certain in who you are and and genuinely loving that it's not always easy and I think I finding my identity and playing music and realizing that it was very authentic and real. And I think part of me has found that identity in social work as well, which is maybe why it's gone, like music has gone a bit on the back burner, but it's really special. And I think people will hide from parts of themselves because maybe it's not, like I said, not considered cool or like what you should be doing or the aesthetic you want to fit your life into. But I don't know. I have met so many incredible people. I've connected with so many people over music. I mean, you and I, like some of the most like special moments revolved around music and songs. And I think that that's something that 
I don't know, like I would never want to fake it. I would never want to be doing something that didn't feel completely true. I couldn't, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. It just like wouldn't feel right. And I would just be a sad person, <laughs> you know? And I get that it's hard for people to find that thing. I know lots of people who still sort of struggle to know what their place is in life and, you know, but finding those little things that just like some, sometimes are really quiet parts of yourself that you just are like, this is something I love so much and will take every opportunity. Like I'll take every opportunity I can to have my headphones in listening to music or finding music, sharing music with people. Like, you know, it's, I, I can't really remember what your question was. I feel like I went off on a tangent, but it was, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd asked about identity and the, uh, the overflow of authenticity that you started to incorporate into your life outside of music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say as also just maturing. Yeah, just maturing, just maturing in general has made a big, like, it's funny, like, I look back on my life six months ago, and my mom, who's going to be watching this, she, I remember, like, yeah, (laughs) um, she would always say to me when I was younger, when I would be, like, fighting with her about something, being like, I want to do this, or, like, let me do this, she'd be like, just trust my judgment right now, Hannah, like, you know, like, in six months, in a year, you're going to look back on this time, and you're going to think, wow, I was such a kid what was I thinking and it happened so rapidly right now like I feel like I look back on myself six months ago and I'm like holy fuck why did I think that was the right decision or like why did I think that mattered so much and like I feel like I'm maturing personally very rapidly right now and like things change so quickly and I think holding on to the things as identities change that make you feel like who you are is really important and yeah music is that undying part of me that through all the phases of life through all the different maturing stages like it's always there and I think it's just I love just being who I am and like I love posting thirst traps on Instagram and being like being celebrating feeling confident and like being like I don't you know because for so long it's like you know you, you put yourself into these little boxes or you try and fit into these little boxes and it's like why can't you just you know enjoy who you are and celebrate it and not let other people make you feel weird or observed or like I don't know I'm really trying to like (laughs) embody it so it becomes a true thing and I think that that's a huge part of what this summer is for me it's just like practicing that and that's why I was excited to talk to you about this because I think making these connections and verbalizing them like thinking right now I'm like oh (laughs) what other ways like yeah it's good to think about this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. it helps to talk it's helped to I find it it's exploring the outside of your conscious understanding of things when you start to talk and especially when you get into deep rants it's as if there's a large well of knowledge underneath the consciousness and once you start to actually discuss things you don't think about what you're saying before you say it and once you say it you sometimes realize that there are things that you didn't hold consciously before so I find that very interesting about discussion and same with writing you don't you're not thinking about the thing that you're about to write or the thing that you're about to say it's just something that cools up from Mm -hmm. deep inside of you absolutely and I think that's why it's so special like yeah like it's stream of consciousness right it's like once you have the gate open or you're talking to somebody who makes you feel comfortable to do that like that's when the most amazing conversations happen right and same thing with sort of like I said with writing music I tried not to have any structure like I would just like write like you know brain garbage essentially that was just like coming out (laughs) and it turned into like these art pieces which is what made it so special and like this you know what you're doing like this is such a form of art and expression for you and conversation and yeah it's it's very special and I think that everyone could benefit from just like putting themselves in these situations and talking about the things that they love and making who they are and yeah 
Mm -hmm. Very well said. So now that you're incorporating social work into your identity as well, that seems like another place where you're able to be authentically yourself. So you're kind of adding another dynamic into that. And what made you, what, what pulled you from social work? What, what makes you gravitate towards that? Also one sec, I have to let Chewy in. He's whining a lot. Sorry about that. I'll, I'll edit that out. <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, how I gravitated towards social work. Um, well, I've always, I mean, I always, I grew up in a family. I mean, I remember I was that kid on the playground who was like telling people to say, don't say that's gay because it was homophobic. Like mm -hmm. in grade, you know, four, like I was that girl who was just like a little just social justice warrior because that's just the way I was raised. Like my parents have always been, you know, like they came from like extreme Catholic upbringings in Ireland. So I think when they came to Canada, they realized like even the way that they were raised was like, just not humanitarian not not embracing equality and it just they always promoted it so much I was constantly around just like accepting people for who they were not being home that was a big one like I think at the time when I was in elementary school like that was such a thing to like say that's gay or like call people I don't even want to say it like it just feels so unnatural to say it but like you know so that was something that I've always been around and I don't know I think just like I care a lot about people and Sometimes I feel like, it's funny, my sister and I were talking about this the other day, like that we have these like love laser beams in us that just like will shoot out randomly at people and we don't know why. Like I'll have somebody like come into my work and I'll be watching them. Like I was watching this man trying to like eat his sandwich on the patio the other day and his napkin kept blowing away. And I was like emotionally responding to this person. Like I was like, I had so much love. I was just like, I just want to go out there and like hold your napkin down for you because like, he was just so cute. He was just like some random guy I didn't know. And I just was like, you have a whole life. You're a special person. And like, I hope people tell you that. Like sometimes I just feel like I respond emotionally to people in this way. And my sister was saying, yeah, she's like kind of like, well, you, you absorb love from the people around you. And she's like, it just shoots out of you at people. And like, <laughs> you have to like learn to hone it. And like, so I think like just knowing that that was something very intrinsic in who I was, was that I just like care about helping people feel good about who they are and you know making people feel special because I don't know I think it breaks my heart that there are people who never know how special they are and there's no one around them who helps them feel that way and if I could be any part of someone's life in that way I want to and I think for a long time like social work was something that I thought I was I wanted to do but like you know you think social work and you think like hard work and shitty pay which is, you know, some of the reality, but I think the stigma around social work was what kind of turned me away from it for a long time. And then I think in like my third or third year of university, after kind of like fucking around for a bit, like not really knowing what to do, um, I just decided one day, like I was talking to my mom and I was like, I don't even care about this stuff. Like I don't care about the money. I don't care about, you know, being in a profession that is considered, you know, valuable. I just like, I just feel it in my body that this is what I need to do. I want to learn how to hone this person that I am as an empathetic person as a caring loving person and just like give back to the world with it in a way that makes a difference and so she was like fuck yeah do it like go in social work <laughs> so yeah I, I I took the prereqs and then I applied and got in this last fall and it's honestly been amazing it's the best I've ever done in school I mean growing up thinking that I was kind of like not dumb but just like not one not one of those people who like excelled in school really you know like I just kind of always thought I was mediocre but like I'm just like killing it now I'm you know making really really strong connections with professors and you know 
especially like working with indigenous professors and Chukutmik people and it's so amazing the opportunities that I feel like I'm already getting out of social work with stuff that matters and especially in a time like this in this last year like I mean think about how much we saw in the ways of social issues and inequality and misogyny and racism just like all this disgusting garbage that just like it needs to be I'm happy that it's being exposed and I'm happy that I'm part of a generation that can you know fight this fight and be part of a group of young people who want to see a difference but it's taxing and it's a lot to absorb all the time I think social work I read a lot of depressing stuff every day and you know but I'm surrounded by a lot of love and it helps me get through it and I just feel social work the same way that playing music did it just feels like exactly where I should be and I think I'm seeing which is nice because I'm like seeing the results of that in like my grades and feedback from my professors and the connections I'm making and you know, it's incredibly special, and I'm, I'm, yeah, that same feeling, being like, yep, this is totally where I'm supposed to be, and the work that I do, and the way that I write, and how much I'm learning, it's just like, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else, this is what matters to me, being part of, you know, this healing effort for the world, and for communities, especially Indigenous peoples, especially, like, you know, like, recently, especially, like, I mean, we've always known better information's always been there for people to find out but I think now that it's surfacing about those 215 children like it's just like these things keep coming up and I'm just like yeah I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than in this fight you know learning this stuff so do you think that that's taught you anything about yourself your dive into social work and kind of the same way that music taught you a little bit about more how to be authentic do you think that social work has opened up any doors into yourself that weren't there consciously before yeah absolutely I would say that I think that was another moment that I was like I resisted it for a while that I was like you can't make a career out of being an empathetic person like that's just you know feeling but like yeah, I was like Fuck, you absolutely can you know like that's what social work is it's about people who care and want to see change and you know want to help others who are oppressed and I think it's made me feel like, I don't know, I just like, as I go through the program and I make more connections, I just like more and more, I'm just like, yeah, this is exactly where I should be. And one day I just like feel in my body, like I embody it. Like it's a, it's a body response. It's not just like, you know, milling through classes and writing papers. It's like, it's an, it's an emotional response to the stuff that I'm learning. And, you know, I think my professors are picking up on that, which is really like in a way that I've never experienced in school before like professors telling me things that I'm like what I'm not even you know like they'll say things that are like huge compliments that I just was like I'm not even like I'm not doing this on purpose like it's just like who I feel like I am and it's and it's really coming back to me in a really positive way so yeah I mean definitely it's an identity thing it's I feel right where I should be and that's why like yes I'm gonna be very sad to leave Victoria I love it here but like the opportunities I have for my practicum in the fall are huge. And I would be cool to turn it down, especially working with, you know, the First Nations Health Association. It's, I'm gonna learn so much, so much valuable information and learning how to be an ally and yeah, for sure. I had a conversation yesterday with a friend, Kazan Kote, and he's a rapper and we talked a little bit more about storytelling because he's he's also in the film industry but we talked a little bit about vocation which is it comes from a latin term and the latin term actually means to be called by something and towards something and it's an inner voice and it sounds like you've found your vocation it's a little bit more than a 
a profession or something that you do to survive and derive sustenance. It's more of something deep down. It's intrinsic. It's a magnet outside of yourself that pulls you towards something. So that's very cool that you found that. Thank you. And I mean, yeah, that's so true because in the end it wasn't, you know, a sustainable career or money that drove me to do it. It was like that I had to let go of because I was like, I could have done anything else and made a lot more money, I'm sure. But in the end I was like I even if I went into something that I like if I I realized I couldn't I couldn't go into something like I remember I wanted to try and do like HR so I was like yeah it's like human humanitarian work but like still make more money and I just like tried to take business classes and I was just like this is so boring I hate it like I just couldn't and so eventually when I just let go of like I just like don't it's weird I just like have never been somebody who cares about like making a ton of money like obviously yeah I want to try and live a comfortable life but like I think that that comes in many forms and I would rather be a happy person doing work that's fulfilling and is helping and healing as opposed to like I don't know having a lot of money that like you have a nice house I don't know and I respect the people that that's what some people's dream is is to be able to like provide this life for themselves and their family so to me it was more about just doing something that I felt I loved and embodied and yeah I think that's what social work is that could change but I don't think it will I hope not (laughs) Do you mind if I ask what your practicum is and the research that you'll be doing there? Um, yeah, so there's this wonderful, incredible Shukatnik woman named Duanna Johnson Virgo. She was my professor, like a kind of co-professor in my decolonization class uh, in the winter semester. And um, she set up this meeting for me with two of her sisters who are also Shukatnik women. Um, and I just... I don't like it was such an incredibly special meeting I mean these women just like let me into a part of their life and their culture that a lot of people wouldn't get that opportunity and it was incredibly it was like an out-of-body experience I remember I got off the zoom call and I like went outside and like stumbled around in the dirt like I was just like what just happened like these two women just like told me so much and shared so much like sacred knowledge with me and I was just like, why me? Like, why, like, why did I get that? And, you know, and then the feedback from Duanna after, but how she said that it went, she just was like, they've never shared stuff like that with anybody who's outside of this family. And like, that means something. And that's sort of when she offered me to do this independent practicum with her at the First Nations Health Association. Um, because she just, yeah, I guess she just wanted me to learn from her and work with her. And it's a huge honor. Like, it's like to, to, to have that connection building experience with those women was so special and yeah I just like the, like I said the way my body responded after that meeting that sort of just like like I just went outside and like laid in the dirt in the sun and I was just like just thinking about you know just thinking about the history of colonization and like the fact that I get to lay like be here in Victoria and like I can still sit and learn I mean this is a different territory it's the Kwangan people but but I could sit and speak to these women and they would be so open with me and sharing with me and like, who am I, right? Like I could, I'm just another student, you know, who could be seen as just trying to be a do-gooder, but like, no, it, it, it was, it was more than that. It's more than school. It's more than just taking courses for me. I feel like it's, it's building connections. It's, it's relational. And I think that's why my practicum is going to be really amazing. And I'm excited for it because I feel like I'm just going to keep building on that with you, Anna. Um, so yeah, it'll be with the First Nations Health Association. Very cool. And, and yeah, and she's the she's the head of the health and mental health and wellness of I think like fifty six different 
stands across the province. So it's, she's, she's a high roller. So it'll be really cool. Lots of work. That is going to be very high paced, but I'm excited. Do you have an idea as to why you? It was a question you asked a few times or a statement that you said, why me? I, I don't understand why me, but I think that there is yeah. a little, there is something about you that would. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like that feeling of being like, um, yeah, I mean, I still sometimes I'm like, why me? You know, people will say things to me and I'm like, I'm not doing, I'm not doing anything out of the ordinary, you know, like I just try and be very authentic and I try and be very real. I try not to like, be what people, what I think professors want me to be. And, you know, like sometimes I, you know, I struggled with that growing up. Like, I mean, I had professors, like teachers making me feel like I was dumb, like, cause I wasn't reading at the same level or I wasn't doing math, like school. And like, it's so toxic. It can be so damaging to people's ideas of intelligence and how they value themselves. And I was lucky enough that like my parents, especially my mom, like stood hard by me and we're like I'm not going to let people make you feel stupid because you're not like you just learn differently and the things that you care about they're not going to teach you in elementary and high school like and it was like once I got to this place in social work and I was like oh I am a smart person I am I have this I can do this because this is what I actually feel and you know like I think um, it's still it's as I'm going through it it's like it's still sometimes I'll be like holy like like I said like having that meeting with these two women knowing and then Duanna sort of telling me how intense it was and how special it was part of me is just like what like it's a lot of accountability you know to be like someone to say this to you like they're like oh you like that was really amazing that they did that like you should be very proud and I was just like but I didn't do anything like I'm still just trying to figure it out you know like and I think it's almost like it's funny how it can seem uncomfortable to like feel good about yourself in a way that you're like oh I'm actually doing okay and I've sort of found my place because I think people expect you to just like beat yourself down and like not feel good about who you are because if you aren't beating yourself down then you're just like full of yourself or it's not real you know and so I think that's like you get such in a mindset where you're like it's hard to accept a compliment or it's hard to accept praise because so many people tell you like like otherwise if you're just made to feel bad or you're constantly measuring yourself against people so I'm really just trying to like place myself in who I am and feel comfortable and be able to like understand you know, to be humble about it, though, and understand that I still have so much to learn, especially in social work, especially with Indigenous peoples, and but just to feel confident about, like, like, sort of what we've been talking about, just, like, it's an embodiment, it's an identity, and if that's true, and if that's real, then, like, I will be, I'll be okay, and I'll be well, and I just have to sort of trust, I don't know, I definitely love, like, reading tarot, and, you know, like, just trusting the universe, you know, I'm like, if I just put out my love laser beams out into the world, <laughs> the world will take care of me. And, you know, everyone around me will be okay. And yeah, it's a little witchy, but. That's a very good it. philosophy to have. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever, do you ever get the inkling of imposter syndrome? What is that? So, I feel like I know what that is, but I kind of want to just clarify. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So imposter syndrome is when you feel that you're in a place that you shouldn't be. So lots of people experience this coming out of university when they start getting into jobs and especially more significant to themselves jobs where they understand that it's, they're maybe not qualified because that's something that tends to happen out of universities. You're likely not qualified in your personal perspective of the thing that you're doing because you don't have experience in it. So 
you get thrown into this realm of things that you don't understand or don't know as well as you potentially could. And you see a bunch of people around you that do have experience. So they do understand what's going on. And in that sense, you feel a little bit about, you, you feel a little bit like an imposter. And I think that's definitely mm. something that happens to lots of people, myself included. I definitely felt like an imposter my last semester of school because I, yeah, I almost failed out in my first year. And then in my final year, I made the dean's list taking six classes per semester and doing a bunch of volunteering and playing sports. And I remember one of my, my friends, Bird, Kyle, he was mm -hmm. my roommate in the summer and we were talking about school and he said to me, yeah, you and I are totally, we're, we're really leading the way for the older guys on, in academics on the volleyball team. And mm -hmm. I was totally taken aback by it. I had no idea what he was talking about because I still felt like I was nearly failing out, but it turned out that I wasn't. So I always kind of, I always carried that with me a little bit of the, the imposter like of intelligence. And you feel like that was when you felt it the most was in the last semester? I think it was just always something that I carried since I was uh, a young, mm -hmm. a young little gaffer, a kiddo. I remember getting mm -hmm. uh, diagnosed with a learning disability when I was young and mm -hmm. my dad made sure that I didn't go on medication, which I thank God every day for him for doing that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, that was something that I always kind of carried with me. So anytime I'm complimented for anything, I mostly feel like an imposter. That's and that's yeah that's I mean that's kind of what I mean about like people putting pressures on what is considered intelligence and what is valued right and I think it creates people who doubt themselves or feel like that's not the right place or you know I think so you're asking if I felt that at any point mm -hmm. it, well it sounds like a very emotional and spiritual experience going through especially going into indigenous studies and doing research in the realm of mm -hmm. indigenous populations that was something that yeah. I, I did resiliency research, not research, but I did a resiliency class over the summer. And my, the main two groups that I looked into were uh, black youth in the United States and then indigenous populations in Canada. And mm -hmm. something that I found was there was a, a lack of research and I narrowed that down to a mistrust between the, you could call it the colonial way of learning and bands having a negative experience with the scientific method and having people mm -hmm. like having having people come in from post-secondary institutions and wanting to know everything about the band and just trying to get in right away without really being initiated or anything and it sounds oh, like yeah, you've, uh, you've definitely been initiated more than most people mm -hmm. would ever hope to be initiated into something like that and I mean I think that's something that I'm still trying to catch up with Mm -hmm. you know like that you know it's like it's like okay like I understand what happened was very significant and um I but still that sort of like I'm just a girl like I'm just a, I'm, a, I'm a first year social work student like maybe that's where the imposter's where I'm like am I just faking this like am I just like you know like I don't know like am I kind of just like playing the cards right because I know how to I'm a good with people where it's like but is this real I'm like Am I actually learning what I need to learn in social work? Am I learning enough about the actual jargon? Like, because a lot of what I do comes like from the heart. Like a lot of it's just sort of like off the dome, like just like, you know, and, and sometimes I'm like, I, I, I'm proud of somebody that I don't feel like I follow like a sort of like, like a pedagogy in, in education that's really standard. Like I definitely lean more towards like, you know, being like, I work best when what I do comes from the heart. But I think that is what, has given me the opportunity with 
Duanna because she sees that in me and that's a huge part of indigenous culture is that it's it's not it's not you know like standard ways of learning and teaching and it's so dominant so capitalist and like hierarchical and it's just like completely different from what you know some indigenous cultures how they teach and how they storytell and I think if you have like I feel like I sort of lean more towards that type of learning that is more traditional to indigenous culture and maybe like that's I think what Duana sees in, a, in me as a student and I really want to nurture that and, and go farther with it but still sometimes I'm just like is this real what's happening like is this like this is so intense like it's so a lot happening at once and it's like I have this feeling of like I was saying this to my mom after they she offered me the practice and I was just like it was a crazy day it was like I seriously felt like I was out of body the whole day I like called my parents and they were so happy like it was a huge moment for them too because like Duana like complimented my parents she was like you must have the most incredible family like for you to be this woman like I'm, like who are your parents like I was like and telling them that was huge for my mom too especially who fought for me for my all of like elementary school and high school to like not let teachers make me feel inadequate you know for her to like sort of see that I'd finally gotten to this place where a teacher was like this is amazing in you that this is how you learn and this is how you connect and are relational with people and you know I, I remember I tell my mom I was like I feel like my future it's like weird it's weird because I feel like I'm in my future and it's happening like in front of me it's like evolving in this way that I had never had before and yeah it's it's crazy and it's I mean, that was only a few months ago. Like, this is still pretty fresh in my brain. And yeah, I feel like I, I'm, I think this is the first time in my life where I'm not really experiencing imposter syndrome. Like, I'm actually really like, this is who I am. And I'm trying to embody it in all different aspects of my life, too. Like, yeah, trying to be in control of who I am and my personality and not being sorry and not, you know, trying to just like, being like, it's okay that you're who you are and I am who I am. We can still know each other and connect. But like, like be proud of who you are, you know, and find people who make you feel good about that and surround yourself with them. And yeah, just take the tangent. <laughs> like, you ever feel like sometimes when you get into these conversations, you sort of talk yourself into like feeling kind of stoned or something? Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, your brain, you get into these really intense thoughts, and you're like, as you're talking, you're like working out things in your brain. And you're like, oh, I gotta think, I'm like, and you're thinking and processing at the same time. Yeah. Anyway, that's where I'm at. <laughs> I had a friend, I posted a highlight of my friend Andre and mine's conversation, and it was about saying no and learning how to say no to things that you don't want to do. And I posted the highlight and he messaged me after and said, did I say that? And oh, really? I, I thought it was funny because I, I tend to black out during these things. I just kind of go along with it. And then after I have to think about what I said and whether it was appropriate or not, but it's always uh, the best though yeah yeah like i said it's it's really exploring a part of your mind that you don't know much about because it's Mm -hmm. likely this is one of the maybe this is one of the first times you've had a conversation like this where we explore ideas similar to this and just talk all the way through it so i think it's definitely it's every conversation is just so different i learn a lot from every single person so I definitely do hit tangents where I'm not sure what I'm talking about, but I tend to try to be on the question side a little bit more because mm-hmm. I, I definitely like to hear more about what other people think. And if people listen to this consistently, they'll, they'll hear my voice enough. So I want them to hear other voices. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. I'm really, really amazing to see you doing it. 
and like I feel like it's funny I can't remember who I was talking maybe Hannah Whitehead we're very similar we do this all the time we call them soul talks mm-hmm. so like get into these ridiculous conversations where we're like well like you know take a break like it's <laughs> intense but um yeah I mean when I was talking I was doing this we were just talking about how like I mean we both know you and I feel like we're both just like it's totally what Josh should be doing like he's so perfect for it and you know like I feel very comfortable talking and expressing things that are really intense and like kind of like the inner workings of my psyche you know like (laughs) but it feels very natural and you know I think it's awesome I'm really happy for you that you're doing it and you know you're like pumping these out too holy I'm like it's a lot of work (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I have about two conversations a week which isn't too bad the rest of my time is spent reading and writing so it's uh good to talk to humans yeah and teaching the dog's tricks Yes, yeah, the dog's <laughs> trick, but thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. Of course. But yeah, this has been pretty awesome. It's funny, like, I haven't talked, I haven't, like, worked out, like, thought about, like, that early on and playing music in a long time and sort of, like, connecting it to social work. That was such an issue. I took my brain just went on a journey. It was awesome. <laughs> you were great. Seriously, you were, you were amazing. I really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for coming on. I, you, were, uh, you were very fluid. You're very well-spoken. You're very articulate. Thank you very much. Incredibly creative. So I'm excited for the things you do in the future. Also, uh, I guess we can talk about this a little bit more after, but it's always something that I like to plug. There's Mm -hmm. a book by Michael J. Chandler on indigenous youth suicide. And I think you would, yeah, I've talked about it a few times in past episodes, I think with Prim and then again with Owen. Owen and I talk about drug addiction and that's going to be coming out in a couple next Wednesday. And it's just, unbelievable the the stuff that that guy finds he's a ubc professor he just passed away a couple of years ago but um what's his name michael j chandler i'll uh, i'll send you the I'll PDF. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'll, yeah i'll send you a pdf i have a pdf of his book but he found that indigenous youth suicide was primarily governed by the the, the governing structures within the band so if the band mm-hmm. was given more opportunity for self-governance and the ability to control their policing forces more and also practices such as music and culture art language all of those things led to decreases in youth suicide to the point where i think i might have said this at the beginning of this little tangent but uh Mm -hmm. 90 90 percent of youth suicide is burdened upon 10 percent of indigenous bands and that number just becomes increasingly small with uh, the more of these governing structures that the indigenous bands are mm-hmm. given power over so very cool very yeah. interesting stuff seems like something that should be common knowledge at this point but i hope yeah. that talking about it is uh will change things up a little bit absolutely yeah i think that's the thing like especially like there's some there's some momentum a little bit right now but like it's sad to think that like it's probably going to go away you know, like you see people getting active on social media and sharing about it and stuff. And it's like, it's great. And I love seeing people supporting, and you know, showing solidarity, but it's like, this is a long fight that indigenous peoples have been fighting since colonization. And, you know, there's been a lot of damage that's been done. And there's so many, you know, like intergenerational trauma that is just like, you know, terrorizing populations and it's like yeah I think I just I just hope I just hope that you know we're in a we're in a part of you know this sort of like progressional time that it's just gonna like 
start to change and people will start to pay attention more and you know it's almost like you know we knew there was kids there we knew there was you know like was it was it that much of a surprise really you know kids would there's hundreds of kids missing from these schools records and it's like where do you think they went you know I think like people being so shocked and seeing some of the like you know government level responses to it it's just like I mean, come on like are we just going to be ignorant to this and you know just you know take partial accountability and then just move on with our lives and I really hope that doesn't happen I know it will for a lot of people but that's why like you know learning and education and is, is the most powerful thing in reading because like just yeah I mean obviously you know as, as a as a white person who, who benefits from settler colonialism every day you know I think the, the best thing I can do right now is just learn and that's all that you know you're not expected to know what the right thing is to do if you were to go into the indigenous community as a worker a social worker and know what to do there's a huge amount of learning that goes first and it will never stop you have to just be open to you know if indigenous people want to teach you and share their knowledge with you then you know just listening is a huge step and I think I think if people understand that like sometimes the idea of being an, an ally and I think uh, even the word ally is kind of like a little washed with some like colonial people trying to like you know be do-gooders but I think like co-conspirator or like you know friends um it can seem intimidating because it's, it's hard to know what the right thing is to say or do when it comes to these situations but it, learning is easy reading is easy like following instagram accounts that like share things and you know or indigenous you know organizations or news outlets like just connect with them and learn and be you know and that in itself you'll get closer to like feeling like you can you know be part of a healing effort and I think that that's something that's really easy and if people just sort of you know cared more and wanted to learn it would be huge you know I think that's changing right like curriculum is changing and you know the momentum behind this is changing but that's awesome I'd love to read that if you can send it to me mm -hmm. I'm reading a book right now called From the End all good Sorry. no I was, like, I was like it was at five percent and i was like yeah it'll last a bit <laughs> <laughs> so the last i heard you were reading a book called um yeah from the ashes from the ashes um by jesse oh. i can't remember jesse something i think it's up in my room um but it's a memoir i really like reading memoirs about of indigenous peoples like i read this one is just like him like I'm halfway through and it's just like a lot of like most of the chapters are kind of just like little stories from his childhood and growing up and they kind of in intertwine into each other but it's just like it's super heart-wrenching a lot of it and tragic but part of me is like I need to read this because it's it's real and it's real stories and experiences of people that I want to know how to work with and want to know you know the realities of what where these people come from um, so that's a really good one. There's also one called "They Call Me." They called me number one, which is a memoir by Bev Sellers, who um, residential school survivor, um, and it's really intense. It's a lot of really horrible accounts of stuff at the residential school, and um, I can't remember where exactly it is. Maybe near Williams Lake, but yeah, just like reading this stuff, it's really hard to read. But I mean. It's like if it, if it's if that's what I can do right now, then I'm gonna do it. You know, this is the mm -hmm. least I can do. So yeah, love to read that when you recommend it. Yeah, I've found 
autobiographical and memoir works to be just such an unbelievable complement to any quantitative analysis books that I read. They're getting an on the ground perspective from people is very different from looking at numbers. So that's very cool that you're doing that. Absolutely. <clears throat> All right, I think that, uh, I think this is probably a good place to, to sign off. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciated that. You were, like I said, you were, you were absolutely great. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. This is awesome. I'm excited to, to watch it back and probably experience that same, like, whoa. I was like, <laughs> like watching stuff back and being like, did you even answer that question? Anna? You just like rambled about something that was coming out of your brain. Like, <laughs> but that makes for the richest conversation. It does. No, I thought you did. I thought you did great. I thought you answered every question very good, better than I would have answered them. So thanks a lot, Hannah. Okay. <laughs> thanks, Josh. It was nice to chat with you. Yeah, it was nice to chat with you too. Okay.